Welcome to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Great show in store for you. Something for everybody. So if you're looking for help in these areas, stick around. Whether you're listening on your cell phone, on your PC while you're reading RVTravel.com, or you know maybe you're on the road somewhere. Sure appreciate you bringing us along. The topics this week include, well, I'm going to outline a spot that may have a vacancy for you in this time of uncertainty and reservation crunches out there. We'll take a look at a new book that helps you complete your national parks bucket list, solve some of your RV water problems, and then we'll get an exclusive audio tour with the builders of the new Dynamax Europa Class B. Not even at the dealers yet. Should be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Hope you're having a good week, weekend, whenever you're listening. Going well? Well, We are about ready to head out for another boondock trip. Doing more and more of those these days. You know, uh, one of the things I'm learning is it's, it just simplifies life a little bit when you don't have to hook up and break off, if you will, when you're leaving. And uh, yes, you got to be mindful of some of the things that you're doing and how you're doing them. But other than that, man, the choices are way broader when you don't need to plug in. Hearing a lot from people about that topic, talking to a lot of folks about it, and um, just to, you know, bear in mind that things will get better. Maybe not this summer, but Next summer, for sure. I think a lot of people are going to get out of the business. Uh, Kind of the latecomers who thought it was a great idea. Haven't been around enough to experience it yet. We'll see how that all plays out. But in the meanwhile, stick around to the RV Travel Podcast. And of course, RVTravel.com. We're trying to help you find places to go. Whether it's boondocking or anywhere else where you need all your hookups, We've got a large number of those in the hopper, and we'll keep you informed, including this one. Yeah, I'm doing the digging for you, and if you jump on it soon, it may still be true. They may have some vacancies. Last I checked, they had vacancies for June, July, and August at the Pigeon Forge Landing RV Resort. Relatively brand new out there in that country, Dolly Parton country. Pigeon Forge and Sevierville. If you're interested in taking a look at the Great Smoky Mountains, that might be the place to do it. Rates ranging from about 75 to 150 bucks a night, depending on what you're looking for and how long you're going to stay. Interesting rate structures. So learn more about all of that. And good luck if that's where you're headed. RVCoutdoors.com is the website. RV coutdoors.com then once you're on that big site search for pigeon forge landing rv resort pigeon forge landing rv resort all right our first guests this week are the author slash publishers of the national parks bucket list book they'll be coming up in just a moment they're standing by but first Let me remind you that we are brought to you in part by clear2o.com. Yeah, that's the green inline water filter. It's kind of 
a, a discussion starter at RV parks for us. People are asking why we're using that green one instead of the, the one you might be using. And it's pretty easy to tell them why. Clear2O.com is a family-owned business since 2008. They offer a whole bunch of filtration products for RV and even your home. Now, the major difference is they use a solid carbon block. It's the most effective filtration medium available. Oh, and the bad news is nobody else uses it. This solid carbon block will filter down to the one micro one micron level for the cleanest water possible clear2o.com rv and marine inline water filter is that solid carbon block look for it it's green free shipping on orders over a 100 bucks in the united states check them out at clear2o.com yeah so let's get on into it joining me from somewhere in the ethernet the co-founders of My Bucket Journals and their newest offering, National Parks Bucket Journal. Welcome to Steve and Shelley Wells. Glad you could join us. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Thank you for having us. And uh, you two are probably seasoned travelers uh, with, a, with a concept like this. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this got started for you two. Well, actually, we, we're, we're seasoned travelers in the air, but not so much camping or RVing, which I know your, your audience is. We started this as a way to get ourselves out exploring the things around us during COVID especially. We live in Texas, and it's a beautiful country. And so we, we're using these journals that we've created um, but the national parks being one of them to get out and and do things in our area. Stephen, has it worked? Y yes, it has. We've gotten out a little bit and seen some stuff that we've wanted to see. Gone to see some other things that we've created other journals besides our national parks journals on, so that we can explore and and learn a little bit more about Texas because we've only been living here about seven years so it's accomplishing its task for you how do you see other people uh using particularly the national parks version well going out and seeing all the national parks there's a couple of things you get to see some of the things that's been preserved by our government and helping them see some of the beauty that is preserved that God has created for us to observe. It's also a good way for people to get out and live. A lot of times I look at these journals as a tool because in journaling, a lot of times we don't know what to do or we just write a few lines and these journals have questions and the questions help stimulate the writing process. And it creates a way to capture the memories as people go out and go to each park. And then it becomes taking a dream of just saying like a dream of, hey, I'm going to go out and see so many parks or all the parks. And this creates an opportunity for them to actually take that dream and make it into a memory. Shelley, 
why don't you walk us through the book real quick and just describe the various sections and how it all works. Give us the mechanics there. So each park has two pages. On the left-hand side are, the, of course, the name of the park, where it's located, the URL for its website. It's meant as a tool to help you plan your trip so that you'll see all the things that you want to see in that. And it's purposely left pretty much blank. We do not think we should be telling you what you should visit at a park. Like what you might want to do at Yellowstone or Glacier would be something completely different than Steve and I would want to do. And so we leave it open for you to research about your trip and then make all the notes about where you're going, what you want to see, and then um, a, a budget about what you want to spend. And then on the right side is the part where, that Steve just talked about where you journal about your experience. We want you to be able to go in 10 years from now and open your book and have a, a trip, a snapshot of what it was like while you were there so that you remember all of the great time you had. Oh, and you know, you're, you're prompting all the right thoughts. I'm, I'm opening it, opening it right now. And, and, you know, rather than a blank sheet of paper, which we have to come up with everything on you, you're, you're almost giving us a pop quiz on every page mm -hmm, right? from the price of ent entry to uh, who you went with. Uh, there's a little bit of everything, including almost a to-do list, but you fill in the to-do list. So how are readers uh, reacting to this idea? I'll tell you, if you like to journal, this is this is for you. You're going to absolutely love it. If you like to do some research and then journal about your experience, this is this is what you want. People who don't like journaling really won't like it. It's not their kind of thing. And that that's pretty much the thing when we receive journals back. We have a 30-day return policy. It's always that one thing. Oh, I didn't realize it was a journal. And it really, when we say bucket journal, we really do mean it. It's a journal. Yeah, you don't call it a bucket list. Mm -mm, we don't call it a bucket list. We call it a journal and we mean it. And everything we do is on this same premise. They're always journals. We really feel that people should journal about their experiences. Journaling is good for you, for your soul, for your mind. And um, we really think that it's the way to remember the experiences that you've had. Well, well, you know, so is castor oil for that matter. It's good for you too. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Stephen, what do you, what do you, what do people get out of a, I'm going to call it a guided journaling experience. With having a, a guided journaling experience, it's, it's one of those things that where, so I guess I'm not the world's greatest journaler. So if I have a blank page that I'm looking at, I don't know, always know what to write. And I don't journal as many things as I would like for experiences because I just don't know what to write. Cause I don't know what people are going to really want to hear. But on the flip side, having this guided tour in these journals, these bucket journals that we've created it allows you to put down things that are going to trigger memories. So before we began this business, I was in the funeral industry for over 25 years. And I've sat with lots of families, thousands of them, and I hear stories. 
And it's a trigger mechanism that I've learned of they will remember something and then the flood of memories come back. And having this journal with these guided questions will bring about those memories that they had at the park. Because you don't, you probably won't think about it every day that you went to the park and try to remember everything, but it's stored in your memory. And I, I just know that when someone goes back to these books, say if they're 90 years old and they got grandkids and someone says, yeah, look, I went here and they read these questions, they will be able to describe what they did because their memory will kick in and give them all that, that story of the life that they lived while they were at the park. And then they can go to the next one and then the next one. Um, you said that you've got a bunch of RVers, and, and all of these RVers had a dream as to retire and get out and go see. And they're living their dream right now and by going to these places, it's creating memories that they will have forever. And then it's fun to share, whether you're at an RV park, you're sharing with one another, you have this journal, you can bring it out and, yeah, you know, and share. Maybe they've been to the same park and share your memories and what was great or what wasn't great. You know, to me, it's like the ultimate fun open book test. Yeah, and uh, and I, I'm liking that already. We haven't we haven't ticked off any place on the on the list yet. We've been to a bunch of them, but we didn't have the National Parks Bucket Journal then. And by the way, if if you're interested as a listener, go to mybucketjournals.com and take a look there. You can get a preview and kind of get a feel for how it all works. Uh, Shelly, one of the, one of the things that astounded me about this, and I, I like to think I'm pretty current on this stuff beyond the, the 62 national parks, you list in there a whole bunch of other, I'll call them federally owned public access destinations. Give us a smattering of the types you're talking about in there. I think that in the National Park Bucket Journal, there's a listing for the different parks that have lodges. But what we've done is um, there are over 400 federally mandated national parks. They're all different designations. Some of them are these like 63 national parks, but there's also national memorials, national historic sites, national monuments. And we split those out into separate books, National Battlefields, so, because it would be too hard to carry it all in one book. And so there's some mention in national parks about some of the other national monuments. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fun to, it, I, I really love that our country has set aside these properties for us to enjoy, even though some people would say they might be too crowded now it's still a national treasure that we have that we should experience. What kind of reader reactions? I, I, I keep saying reader because it's fundamentally it's a book, but it's, it's, it's a book with a whole bunch of blank spaces that readers become writers. Um, mm -hmm. Steve, have you gotten any feedback so far? A lot of people love it. Just love it. But kind of going back to where, uh, Shelly was saying is you have those the two sides of the coin right 
people just love it. They understand it's a journal, and they are thrilled to have it. They're anxious to go out and visit the parks that they want to go visit and start writing. But then there are some people that they don't realize it is a journal, and they don't like it. Is it, is it, is it the, the folks who didn't like taking tests when they were in school? Probably so. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes they just don't understand the, the, the benefits of journaling. It's kind of a skill that you have to learn to love, don't you think? I mean, either you were sort of introduced to it as a kid and you, you enjoyed journaling and keeping track of your memories, or you don't. And, you know, some people just aren't journalers, and we love them anyway. Yeah, and, and if they can send it back, all the better. They can. Definitely. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to see some of the. I'd, I'd love you to share some of their pages with us. Not not those people, but the other ones, the happy ones, who are working really hard at it. I would imagine that there's some incredible content in there that we hadn't even thought about. Have you seen any of that? Yes. You know, if you go to the page for the journal at mybuckupjournals.com, you'll see it right on the very front page. Yeah. If you go there and you go down to the very bottom you'll see pictures of people telling us how much they love it and showing what they do with their journals. Like people actually with their pictures with their journals. So you can see the kind of things that they, they love to do. If you're the kind of person who likes to check things off a list, if you really go after a bucket list, then you'll, you'll love this. Cause it gives you a, a way to take those bucket lists you have and keep track of them as you're doing them. What about some of the the places that people have gone? I mean, if uh, let's just ask personally, since you're you've just come out with this, the National Parks Bucket Journal, of all of those national parks, what's what's on the top of your bucket list? I'd like to go back to Yellowstone. I've been one time with our daughter, but Steve and I have not been, and I'd really like to go to Yellowstone. I think that'd be my number one. Steve, now here, here, here's where the rubber meets the road. Um, you have the yeah, same so one or a different one? I do. I, I do. But she wants to go in the summer, and I want to go in the winter because I want to rent snowmobiles and just go on snowmobile trails up there when it's all snow-covered and see it in the beauty of the snow. That would be definitely different than the summer experience. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Well, it's, it's called the national parks bucket journal. You can learn more at mybucketjournals.com. Steve Shelley Wells are the co-founders of the whole idea. Uh, enjoyed talking with you and going to, uh, do my best to be the good, uh, open book test taker I, this summer and then on into next year as well with your books. Thank you so much for being a part of the RV Travel Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And don't you go away. We're going to talk about water and how to you know, take care of your own on the road. And we're going to get that exclusive audio tour from the builders of the new Dynamax Europa. That's all on the agenda right after this. Write it down. Type it in softstartrv.com slash stay cool. That's where you learn more about the kind of the, the coolest gadget I've ever seen, 
when it comes to being able to cool down your RV when you're not connected to 30 amp or 50 amp shore power. You can run an air conditioner on a small portable generator. You can plug into household current and run an air conditioner. There's none of those shaking clunks or any other disappointing, scary noises that come from the top of your rig. If you're not using enough um, power to get your air conditioner going, put two of them together. You can run two air conditioners on a 30 amp hookup. Easy to install by yourself. No wire cutting. Now it's all about splicing. Simple installation. They'll help you with it. You'll also see some incentives if you refer somebody else. And an extended warranty comes with that referral. Learn more about it at softstartrv.com slash stay cool. Well, here's where we learn a little bit about... One of the things we connect to our rig, probably one of the most important things, you know, we are 98% water, aren't we? Keith Bernard is the president of Clear 2O. You've heard some of their commercial spots with us here. And he knows a little bit about water, especially water and keeping it clean and safe. Keith, welcome to the RV Travel Podcast. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you having me on today. You know, I've learned a lot about your organization and your products, uh, but, you know, let's let's look at the bigger picture. I mean, why is this such an issue for you guys, especially in the RV world? You know, what happens to water that scares you the most? Well, you know, to some degree, it's the lack of control that you personally have over that water. Now, if you're getting your water through a municipality, um, obviously the EPA controls all of that, but you really don't know when that water left that treatment facility, what kind of piping it went to get all the way to your house or to your RV park. And the same goes for well water that is quite often untreated. So we're, uh, we really try to focus in on making sure that you know what is going to go in from the hose bib or the, the spigot all the way into your RV um, because you know what kind of filter you're going to put on that. And, you know, we've all seen the pictures, you know, water that comes out of the tap that has actually a color to it um, or uh, an odor to it. I mean, what are the bigger issues in that world? What do you see from consumers when they're calling up and saying, I need to solve this problem? Will Clear 2O be able to solve it? What are those problems? Absolutely. Well, certainly you mentioned color. So you know that generally if you're seeing that kind of brownish color, that quite often is rust. And that's just coming from the pipes that that water has to travel through. And so that's one of the, the key helpful tips that everyone should know is whenever they get to a new campground, one of the first things they ought to do when they're hooking up is just turn on that tap, run that water for a little bit, get it clear out all of that brown water. A lot of times it just collects at the tap head itself, and you don't want to flush that into your filter or your hose or your RV uh, at all. So just run it for a small amount of time until you get to clear water, and then it's time to go from there. So the other aspects of it are not really the things that you can see or smell. Um, so we have a lot of consumers asking us about um, the sulfur smells. That's that rotten egg smell that mm -hmm. you quite often get, and, and a lot of well water has that uh, overall. 
So our filters are targeted to remove that so that you don't have those taste and odor issues uh, coming through into your RV or your coffee or tea or whatever, you know, whatever you're drinking or showering in. So that's all removed at that point in time. Um, but the other issues are the things that it removes that are not necessarily that you can see. Lead is obviously one of the bigger ones that's over the last number of years. And you're not going to see that. You're not going to taste that. So that's why it's important to always make sure that you get a good quality filter, something that can actually do chemical removal, not necessarily just particulate removal. Well, let, let's talk about that in a moment. But just for the record, if it comes out of the tap smelling funny, it's an improvement to my coffee when I make it. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned a, a real clear distinction there, though, Keith. So, so why don't you go from there and describe the difference between, you know, what I what I'll call the unseen and the and the chemical versus the particulate. Well, to to kind of give you an idea of that, you, there's really a, a number of different types of filtration, but we'll kind of just keep it to two for right now. And the first filtration is really a physical barrier type mm. of filtration. Mm. In other words, it's uh, your coffee filter is a physical barrier, so the coffee doesn't go in, just the, the liquid passes through. So that is one of the key things, is making sure that you have a good physical barrier, and that's going to trap anything that has a size to it. It's a, a micron uh, is the way you actually measure that. Now, our inline filters are one micron, as you give you an example, and a red blood cell is about five microns. So that just tells you how tiny that actually really is. The smaller the micron, the more filtration that you're going to have. The larger the micron, the less filtration you're gonna have. And that's just kind of keep that straight. If you don't see micron mentioned on a package of a filter, then generally it's going to be uh, 20, 50, maybe even 100 micron. Uh, so they're not necessarily wanting to claim that. So it, you just realize you're gonna, gonna get a high micron filter from there. And then the second type of filtration is that chemical filtration. It's actually pulling out the chemistry that comes through the water as well. And these are things that are in solution. Um, and lead is an example of that. Uh, chlorine is an example of that. The, the hydrogen sulfide, which is the sulfur smell, those are those are, idea, are examples of chemical solution that you want to actually pull out. And those need to be absorbed by the filter. So it's a different methodology They'll pass straight through the particulate blocking aspect, but then they need to be absorbed by the carbon. And carbon is really the the number one thing. Um, we always say that you know the more carbon, the better uh, overall, because carbon actually is a, a really a miracle for its level of absorption. That's why you've always seen, you know, whether it's an air filter or a water filter or any type of filter, a lot of times has carbon in it, and it's really the carbon is doing the absorption of those bad uh, that bad chemistry. Okay, just for this music major who, uh, and I don't want my eyes to glaze over, or I don't want anybody else's ears to glaze over, um, what, is car what does carbon actually do to those things to make it work so well? Well, there's there's two pieces to it, and uh, and I'm not going to give you all of the, the uh, proper scientific names from Good. all of this, but you've seen uh, where you've seen the word activated carbon. Sure. What activated carbon actually means is it has a positive charge on it. So anything that actually is going to be going through that that has a negative charge is going to want to bond uh, at the molecular level, bond to that carbon. The carbon also has a, an amazing ability to actually want to bond to certain 
uh, molecules as well directly. So they actually want to attach themselves uh, to the carbon itself. So it's really that they're reaching out and grabbing that and just staying with the carbon and therefore they're pulled out of solution and they don't come through the rest of that water into your uh, RD or your glass. What are some of the other uh, common uh, chemicals or particulates, if you will, that we're going to find uh, coming out of a tap at an RV park? Well, the number one, your first one you're going to find is sediments. So mm -hmm. these are just so common everywhere, especially in hard water areas. There's just a lot of sediment in the water. And um, that also could go with um, silt and, you know, even uh, clays, et cetera, if that's pretty common in certain areas uh, of the country as well. And it's whenever you uh, get a glass of water and you may see a bunch of little white floaty things that are kind of there while it's uh, swirling around a little bit. And those quite often are sediment. And so you want to pull those out. You don't want that to go into your glass at all. So we make a pre-filter, it's called a dirt guard, and that actually helps to pull everything that's 20 micron and above. So you're not going to get any sand traveling through, and all of that is, uh, is prevalent in the pipes um, that come to that spigot that you're using. So uh, over time, you know, things uh, get loose on the water pipes, and you get a lot of that um, different sands and sediments, et cetera, entering into that pipe, and then eventually make it all the way down to your uh, spigot itself. So best to pull all that out. They, those also clog uh, filters dramatically. So the best thing to do is is to take out that through use of some type of pre-filter. Now, pre-filter is going to be like that first filter we talked about, that particulate or blocking type of filter. Mm -hmm. And that just keeps all of that from getting downstream uh, overall. So we always like to think in terms of uh, different um, stages of filtration. The first stage should also always be that uh, particulate or blocking stage, keep all of that out. That allows your carbon filter to just deal with chemically treating the water or, or just absorbing the chemicals that are in the water and it makes it more effective overall as well. Well, you know, that in itself is an eye-opener to me. I'd never given that much thought. You look at this thing, whatever color it is, and just for the record, yours is green, I'm told. I'm a little colorblind, but, <laughs> you know, our neighbors are always asking us at the RV park, what, what, what's the difference here? And uh, I try to explain it as best I can, but you're doing a great job of it. Here's one of the things that has baffled me, and that is, wh what is the... Are we are we reusing our water inline water filters too much? I mean, is there a life on these, and how long is that life? Well, that that's a great question, and uh, you know, you mentioned it just a second ago, so let me just explain a little bit of difference between ours and a, and the common blue filter that you see out there. Um, ours is actually a solid carbon block, so all of the water has to pass through the wall of the carbon block in order to be able to go through filter itself whereas the blue filter and, and many of the white filters you'll see different ones that are inline filters um, they're actually made out of granular carbon so the water actually passes through granules of carbon not necessarily through a carbon wall so what ends up happening is is the water quite often cuts a channel through it and it doesn't necessarily um, um, uh, block get blocked over time so a lot of times people are using their blue filter and they're using their blue filter way too long. They think, mm -hmm. well, as long as the water's flowing, it hasn't clogged, 
it's still good. But I would tell you if it's over two months of use and you're and you're using it frequently during that period of time, then most likely you've used up all of the life of that carbon. It's no longer absorbing anything. So you're just basically have an attachment on your hose and you really should replace it at that point in time. Ours is a little different because ours is a one micron filter. So generally you're going to see uh, two to three months worth of, of usage, but at the same time, it's going to clog over time as well. So when you start seeing a reduction of uh, flow rate, mm -hmm. then you know that you're coming now to the end of the life of the filter um, and it's time to replace that filter as well. So, so two things come out of that. The first is, do I still need to use a pressure regulator if I've got your filter on, on the tap there? Our recommendation is always use a pressure regulator. Yeah. And the reason why is there's a thing called a water hammer. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. but uh, I can imagine. <laughs> a little known high school physics is that water is not compressible. So when it comes through that pipe and it hits something, it doesn't compress and bounce off of it. It hits it like a hammer. So you just don't want to have that high pressure come through that system, and you don't want to risk blowing any fittings inside your RV itself. So the best thing to do is protect yourself with a pressure regulator. Before or after the inline filter? Um, my preference always is, is before, and the yeah. reason why is you paid money for that inline filter <laughs> and should protect it as well. Yeah, you're right. I never thought about the cheapskate rationale. The other question about all of that is, um, what about um, after the filter? We've all right. We got our regulator. We got our uh, clear two O green dirt guard then we have the inline filter are people making mistakes with the hose that goes from there into their rv are there are, are there some guidelines you could give us in that regard well that's one of the big questions that we have is where do you locate your filter and we always recommend it to be on the spigot side of the hose and the uh -huh. reason why for that is is because that's where the highest level of pressure is going to be and you're going to have pressure drops every time you add something on there's a slight pressure drop mm -hmm. so best to be having it at the high end of that pressure on that end then once you run through the hose, and of course, always you should use a FDA-approved hose. Most okay. likely, they're white hoses. Those mm -hmm. are the most common uh, hose. You should never use a garden hose. Uh, they're, they're not meant for drinking water, so mm -hmm. use the white hose for drinking water. There are a couple of manufacturers who use different colors, but just make sure they're drinking water hoses. Right. And then when you attach it up to your RV... Um, we like to use a hose protector. You can also use a 90-degree elbow uh, as well, and that just kind of protects the, uh, the water inlet. Um, hooking a hose directly into the water inlet itself where it sticks out the side of the RV, it's just there. It's prone for somebody to trip over it or to knock against it. And what you never want to do is damage that water inlet because it's just going to be a problem. You're going to have leaks. It's just better off to use a hose protector. That gives a little flexible spring on the hose itself, and that just makes it a little bit better um, overall for carrying the weight of the hose. We don't recommend hanging filters off of an RV. Uh, you'll see that very, very commonly. You'll see people putting their filter on the RV itself. Yeah. And we don't recommend that simply because of the weight on that, that uh, inlet. 
it's uh, most people don't carry spares on that. So it's something they've got to order or they've got to get to a dealership to replace. So it's just uh, better to have a great camping experience and just don't hang your filters off the, uh, the side of your RV. Yeah. Take it from one who's learned the hard way on that. But uh, one thing I have figured out and thank you guys for cluing me into this was that whole idea of something you call it a hose protector, whether it's that or it's the 90 degree, um, uh, outlet, if you will, that you attach to the side of the RV. What that's done for us is it's it's ensured that we don't have that constant minuscule drip all the time that comes from a straight to straight connection. So yeah, um, absolutely, it's easier and better, and it's just it it gives that hose and it doesn't it prevents any crimping as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you have a sometimes the cheaper hoses they crimp and then all of a sudden you have no water, but it's just because the hose crimped. So uh, they're helpful for all for that as well. So, um, so tell us more about what else you guys do over there at your company because we're we're becoming better acquainted with the RV side of things. But you you can offer up a bunch of stuff for our use even within the the galley of our RVs, for example, but also at home. Absolutely. We, uh, we're in the water filtration business and we focus on RVs cause we like to RV ourselves. Yeah. So, uh, but whether it's the kitchen at your home that we make some various different products for, or whether it's your RV, it's just a kitchen on the road. So, mm-hmm. um, to us, they're both one in the same, uh, overall, but one of the things that we've always prided ourselves on is being able to give you clean water. And so we, we try to identify technologies and methodologies uh, overall to be able to give clean water. When you're talking about the RV world, we see it, there's two different paths to get to clean water from a filtration standpoint. You can either go with the inline types of filters, that's the kind that we've been discussing here, or you can also go with the canister style of filters as well. And we believe that both paths, whichever one that you choose, is should actually give you clean water. You should be able to get drinking quality of water through either path whatsoever. And that's one of the big differences that we've brought to the inline side because we brought it down to one micron, where before that it was maybe 20 micron was the best that you could get. And the better water was really over on the canister side. But now we we offer products that can take you down either path. If you're more of a weekender or you move frequently and you like the convenience of inline, then we make inline filters that are going to meet your needs and it'll provide the drinking quality of water for all of you, uh, for all your needs. As well as we make the canister style um, of filtration uh, and those filters give you a little higher higher flow rate, a little higher pressures, and they allow you to be able to uh, use the filters for a little bit longer. Of course, they're more expensive and they're bigger uh, to be able to do all those things. So there's usually more people that are going to be more sedentary. Maybe they go to fewer locations or maybe they stay at one location for a long period of time uh, and have the the ability to store things. So you pick and choose what works for you and we're, our goal is to give you clean water, whichever direction that is. You mentioned pressure, and I mentioned pressure a while back. Uh, you know, at, at, at the shower head in our RV is really where where, where it matters most. And, um, and when we talked uh, a few weeks back, you mentioned that the pressure needed to 
basically power a RV shower is relatively low. If we're squeezing water through a one micron system versus a hundred micron system, is that going to have an effect on that pressure at the shower head? It actually won't for your, for noticeability. And the reason why is, is because our one micron uh, inline filter is rated at three and a half gallons per minute. And your shower is anywhere from two to two and a half gallons per minute. So it's actually above the level Mm -hmm. that you get through your shower uh, overall. The, um, uh, the other filters that are out there are rated in the four to four and a half uh, range. So we're, we're better. We're not quite as high flow rate as some of the blue ones that you see as well. But generally, all of them are going to be the same once you look at your shower because they're two to two and a half gallons per minute. Well, there you go. Clear to o.com is where you learn more about all of Keith's products. Keith Bernard is the big cheese over there at clear Two O, <laughs> president and uh, uh chief cook and bottle washer part yeah pun. whatever it takes yeah, yeah whatever it takes and uh and we all know how important water can be and uh, now we know even more about why so thanks so much for being a part of the rv travel podcast keith all right thanks for having me i appreciate it Standing by at the front door of the new Dynamax Europa, Brian Clemens will be joining us in just a moment. Go ahead and uh, hit the key and get the glow plugs heated up, Brian, while I talk a little bit about a real resource for everybody out there, the RVTravel.com who makes what list it's a free 73 page report from rvtravel.com it's listing every u.s rv manufacturer and all of their makes and models so if you're driving down the road and you wonder who made that xyz camper in front of you you can look it up it's all free just click and it's right there rvtravel.com slash who makes what Well, I cannot wait. Uh, We're in for a real treat around here and um, seems to be very popular with other people as well. Looking for all the good stuff out there on the market. And when we can, we get lucky. And I got to tell you a little backstory here. I was in an RV park maybe two weeks ago and within two hours, three different really cool looking rigs pulled in. There was a fifth wheel, there was a pole behind. No, there's a motor coach. And then there was a class B. I said, I got to get in touch with these folks. What else do they have? Well, here to tell us all about their newest version is Brian Clemens. He's with Dynamax. That's part of the Forest River family. By the way, I'm a Forest River owner. Brian, thank you for joining us here at the RV Travel Podcast. Thanks for having me. Wonderful beautiful incredible impressive looking rigs and the newest one is so new it's not even available yet at dealers why don't you tell us just a little bit give me an overview of the new europa well when when this first came sort of into fruition it was through requests from a lot of our customers we're active daily on retail forums um, user forums and i'm on uh, literally every day and we get feedback. And one of the things people are pushing for is a short Super C on an M2. And we used to build those back in the day, but then the trends have grown to bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we're seeing those 
those shorter vehicles come back into into uh, play again. So, you know, the Europa came about basically as uh, from that user feedback. And uh, the other thing we were able to do, like it's tough sometimes to make changes because we're always retail sold. So when you try to make changes, they're already retail sold from what they saw. So when we try to introduce new decors or new woods, it's tough to do. So this was the perfect opportunity to throw a bunch of different design changes against the wall and see where we ended up. So that's where it all started. And then the last bit of that is, you know, the Europa name. It was actually a product. It was the very first uh, product that Dynamax ever built way back in the early 90s. And at the time, it was a Class A. So when we were looking for a product name, I thought, why not pay respects back to the, the origins of Dynamax? And uh, the Europa name just worked perfectly. Uh, I, I'm impressed with the look of it. That's all I know so far. So I'm looking forward to getting the grand tour from you. You're out there on the factory floor. You got the rig in front of you. Why don't we start right at the front end? Let's sure. let's take a look at the chassis, the power plant, all the mechanical aspects of it from from the front end back. Yeah, we start off. You know, one of the things in looking at this uh, to go short. There's another product on the market, the S2RV, uh, which is sort of the the RV version. That, as they say on the M2. Um, but the problem is it's got a, a single rear fuel tank, 100 gallon. And so the problem with that was in trying to make something short, that doesn't work. So we went ahead and took our normal M2 chassis that we, we normally build on uh, with the front saddle tanks, 50 gallons on either side. And that enabled us to shorten the length. And then up front, we went with that same engine. It's an ISB from Cummins that we use uh, with an Allison transmission. And what we did is we actually raised the chassis slightly to match our other stuff. Um, and it, so it makes it a little bit higher than the, the S2RV, but also gives you basically a flush floor inside. So when you go from the, the cab to the coach, you're not stepping down, stepping up or anything. It's basically just an easy transition back. Just, um, describe the, the look of the front end. I mean, with the cab and that sort of thing, what, what are we going to relate that to that we might what, know already? What, what, what's really cool about the M2 and why the Super C has become so popular is you literally are a semi driving down the road. So you've seen this front end everywhere. Everywhere you go, you look at the Freightliner name badge, um, you're going to see basically truck, trucks that are hauling. I mean, these guys are driving um, hundreds of thousands of miles, and these rigs basically are basically million-mile vehicles. And the nice thing about that is, again, it's, it's a super safe front end as well. It's designed and tested for collisions. It's got a crumple zone. So there's not an RV out there that is any safer than being uh, back behind everything like it is in a super C chassis. Well, you had a hand in, in much of the design and, and build on this project. So let, let's, let's start walking. Uh, take a, let's, let's go from the, you know, the, the passenger side walk on back and describe what we're seeing as we walk past the, the, the curb side of the rig. So once you get past the entry door chassis, you're going to come obviously to the main entrance door. We keep that a lot of times up front. So it's out of the way. Sometimes in mid entry, you're walking uh, in front of people that are the kitchen or somebody's in the kitchen or whatever. Yeah. Um, with the front entry, it's just sort of out of the way and it lets us put the living space in the back. So you walk past the front um, entrance and you're going to come to the first compartment. And this first compartment is basically a three-quarter pass-through. Uh, we use a product called Rotocast, which is a, it's a, it's a plastic mold. They spin it so that the thickness is the same all the way around. And it's super easy to clean out. 
and there's two types that you can use. We use a virgin material plastic, which is uh, it's more expensive, but it comes in gray. And then you also have the recycled materials, which comes in, uh, comes in black. Uh, the gray is going to be more expensive, but it makes the compartment so much brighter. And so for us, uh, when you have a light on in there, too, it makes it so much easier to see, especially at night when you've got your gear and you've got to unload. This first compartment is going to be about 34 inches wide. And it's sitting at about, all of them are going to be about 25 inches tall. I think I just heard a tape measure in there. Uh, that was the tape. <laughs> and all of them are, are slam baggage doors. Uh, so they're very nice slab doors, uh, very easy to open, close. They slam shut and uh, easy to adjust as well. All right. So we're walking past the, the entry door now. We'll get, we'll get back to that. So uh, watch, so, watch out for the yeah. stairs. Will do. So first uh, entry door. So then we have one compartment and then we come to the second compartment. Now this one is right in front of the wheel well. And this is a solid 49 inches wide. And that is also a three quarter pass through. So when you look in on this thing, you're going to have basically uh, it's, it's 29 inches to the, the, the bottom of the floor of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And as you go back, you know, the compartment depth is 20 inches deep just to the first kick up. And that's where the, another shelf, basically, uh, that's that one's 36 inches deep by about nine inches tall. And what wow. I use that for most times, those are great for camp chairs. So you just drop all your camp chairs up there. So no matter what you load in the compartment, you can typically reach back on that top shelf, grab your camp chairs back out, and you're set up camping without having to unpack literally everything. I love that idea. But, uh, you know, at our house, that's going to be for the kids who didn't do their chores. <laughs> All right. Brian Clements is with Dynamax. You're listening to the RV Travel Podcast. We're getting the grand tour of the new Europa, not even on the market yet. Okay, keep going here. I guess we're going clockwise, Brian, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Next back uh, is uh, just past the carment above up over the wheel well is going to be uh, there's an outside TV. All the TVs that we've done for this year. I'm a huge Alexa fan. Uh, my wife is a recent convert, but all the TVs that we use have Amazon Alexa as their fire TV built in. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting spoiled and I don't even have it yet. <laughs> But that's every TV on board, too. Wow. So uh, it, you can just, you literally, again, you say, hey, Alexa, stream, you know, this particular movie on Netflix. And I'm making changes over to the app, uh, starts that particular uh, movie. It's, it's, it's a pretty slick system. Nice. Back of that and just behind the wheel well is, uh, it's a compartment. Uh, this one is going to be 46 inches wide. And this is where we also house the black and gray tanks. So this compartment is going to have heat fed to it from the furnace. Mm -hmm. And then up on the ceiling, we basically attach the black and gray tanks to the bottom of the floor. And so this whole area, side to side, has a heat run in it. And that's going to, what's going to keep, uh, in cold climates, it's going to keep your uh, black and gray tanks from freezing up. Rough capacity still, on those? I think they're 45, and I'll confirm that when I go inside. I have that listed. But right. uh, they're about 45 each, and then we've got about a 90-gallon uh, freshwater tank. Nice. What kind of drive have we got on this thing? Because I want to say I've seen four-wheel drive on something somewhere down the road. Uh, that doesn't strike me as the Europa version, but uh, we're talking uh, dualies in the back? 
Yep, we are dually wheels, um, and they are all 22 and a half inch tires. Um, they're they're big, beefy tires. Alcoa rims all the way around on the Freightliner chassis, uh, so you have a really nice, easy to clean uh, wheel. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and yes, we have done. Uh, there's a there's a handful of four by four on this particular chassis out there uh, that we experimented with. But we also, on our Isada 5 series, which is on the Ram 5500, that is standard with 4x4. Yeah. Just a smaller platform. Nice. Okay, we're, we're at the back end. Uh, watch out for the bumper. Back end. Now, there's a smaller compartment because it's where the, what we call the departure angle. So as we kick up the tail to make sure to pr- try to prevent you from dragging it, there's a smaller compartment there that's going to be about 15 to 16 inches wide. But this goes all the way through the vehicle. So if you have anything long, tent poles, stakes, some people have these uh, um, inflatable kayaks, should be able to fit back in here. On the opposite side, we're going to have basically a power cord reel, but you can get most of that depth through there. Wow. And that's the last compartment on this, um, this side. One of the other things is at this point, if you look at the, the rear uh, passenger side corner, all of our paint is designed – by the art of design and that is a Dean Lauchs company. He's a local artist who's done a lot of work um, nationwide. And some of you might've seen like they commissioned him to do some custom artwork on the uh, KitchenAid stand mixers. And he actually did these uh, sort of one of a kind uh, paints on those and they were sold for a while. He's been commissioned to do some artwork for Notre Dame. Um, He's done boats, cars. When you see any high end, um, RV paint job. It's typically done by Dean Laux and wow. his company is the one that designs our exterior paint. And back here at this point is where you'll see his signature. Uh, that's actually laid into the paint mask itself. Nice. Love that idea. But I'm from the Ed big daddy Roth rat fink generation. So custom paint is in my DNA. It's, it's in ours as well. So, uh, and you know, stepping around the back corner, Um, One of the things that's new for this product and then new coming forward is we do a new two-piece rear cap. So if you're ever in a fender bend or something like that, it's it's much easier to just remove the bottom portion and replace that instead of the whole rear cap, which can be pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, And then also in in paying sort of uh, tribute to our motorsports roots, on the back of all of our vehicles back right, we post the horsepower and torque of every vehicle that we do. Um, just part of, again, the, the roots of Dynamax was started by a family that was pretty passionate about motorsports. And so it's, we've always done that, or we did that for a long time ago. And, uh, then they stopped a little bit and we brought it back when I came on board, but, uh, the Europa is 360 horsepower, 800 foot pounds of torque. And that's the, uh, Cummins ISB engine. That'll get you around the block a few times. It, it, uh, it'll get you there. All right. So, there for sure. So keep going. We're speaking of going around. You're now on the, the driver's side. We are on the driver's side. And again, that back rear compartment we looked at is the other end of yeah. that full pass through. That's where you're going to find the 50 amp, uh, cord reel. And it's basically a powered cord reel and, uh, nothing spectacular there. You've seen them before, but it's a, it's a big, heavy cord on the 50 amp cord. And so having that power hose reel is sort of nice that you don't have to manhandle it yourself. The next compartment heading forward is our utility bay. So in here, you're going to have the black and gray tank valves. You're going to have uh, a 
outside shower. And one of the cool things we do is we do hot and cold. A lot of the outside showers are just cold only. And we'll do hot and cold like a normal faucet spigot with a, uh, a hose attached to that with a little uh, quick, quick connect hookup. Yeah, I love and, those, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and my dog appreciates the hot and cold, too. Oh, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so heading forward from there, uh, back to the wheel well, we're underneath the rear slide right now, uh, which is tall enough almost for me to walk under. That's just for the bed area. Wow. And then one in front, you're going to find the 8K owner generator behind that door. And, and by 8K, you, you mean 8,000 watts? 8,000 watts, yeah. Wow. Next compartment heading towards the front is where you're going to find the batteries. Uh, this is where the two chassis batteries are located. And those come, uh, again, there's uh, two Group 31 uh, AGM batteries for the chassis itself. And then we're going to have an 8D. Uh, I believe that's a 245 amp hour AGM battery. And all the batteries we use are a, a true deep cycle a marine battery. Uh, it's not sort of a hybrid. It's not a starting battery. And uh, the ones we put in here is an 8D with room for a second if you wanted to add another 245 amp hours. Uh, and then up in the upper right-hand corner of this compartment, you're going to find an air quick connect. So there's, uh, because of the, got the air brakes on the Freightliner chassis, we have an air compressor basically on board built in. And so we option to go ahead and have the, the hookup connected. And it comes a little toolkit. So if you need to and you're low on air or something, you've got your own air on board. Uh, just fire up the engine and it'll keep that compressor running. And you can plug into that with a quick connect. Go add air to your tires, go up, blow up uh, pool toys, whatever you want. But that's right here on board in this compartment. I love it. That is, you've thought of everything. Uh, we, we try. We learn new things every day. Well, that's um, great. On the, on the forward side of this particular compartment, you've got two disconnects. One is going to be your, your, uh, your coach disconnect, uh, which is a round marine dial. And then right next to that is going to be your solar disconnect. So if you ever need to work on the solar panels that are up top, um, you can hit the disconnect right there and feel free to work on those without uh, worried about any little charge or discharge. Nice. Well, can you scoot around uh, the front end again and, uh, and head for the steps and let's go inside. Let's head inside. The entry door that we use, cause we were trying to find one uh, that doesn't, that, you know, you always get complaints about air noise, things like that. So we upgraded this year to a door that is about three times as heavy as the doors we used to use uh, made by a company called PTL. So it's what you find on the really high end diesel stuff. Very heavy door, very sound. Haven't heard a single complaint about noise since we started using it. All right. So we're inside. Uh, why don't you just take a spin around there and tell me where you're going? So inside, as we face forward on the cab area, you know, one of the cool things, again, about raising the M2 chassis, unlike some of the other chassis, is that when I'm sitting in the uh, sofa, uh, I can see out the front windshield. Uh, and so a lot of people that have motion sickness, when you raise this area and they can't see out the front windshield and they're only looking out the side, uh, some people don't handle that really well. And with this, I'm looking straight out the, I'm almost at head height with the driver and passenger. Nice. So it's really nice from that standpoint. The other thing we do that's different than everybody else is up front on the dash, we're going to have what's called a quad view camera. And this came around from me actually taking our units out in the field and getting feedback from customers. And, you know, uh, the, the turn signal camera has become really popular in the last uh, probably 
10 years. Mm-hmm. And so when you turn your turn signal on, it goes to the camera. And so you turn your turn signal on to see the camera, but that's going to show you what's, what's going to happen or whatever, but you've already turned your turn signal on. So what we did is we did a quad view camera. So it's a, it's a 10 inch screen and it gives you right, left, a horizon view, which is more like a rear view mirror, and then a camera face downward for a hitch view. And it gives you all four views at all times. Nice. So no more waiting for right signal, turn signal or whatever. Um, you get all four camera feeds at once. So it's, it's, once you get used to that, it's a lot of information at, at really very quickly. And, uh, it makes for really easy maneuvering and backing up. The cabinetry toast for this is a really, really light gray, um, almost white from afar if you see it. But when you get up close, it's just a really, really warm, light color of gray. The flooring is sort of a distressed wood, uh, again, a little darker, so it brings out some of those tones. And uh, the furniture, uh, we actually did a really light-colored sofa. Because the other thing that we saw at homes is most of your home sofas, people like the breathability of, of, of fabric. Mm-hmm. They just don't always like the durability, so that's why you find a lot of vinyl or leatherette-type material in RVs. Sure. Uh, but this is a fortress fabric from Rich Loom, that's uh, moisture resistant, stain resistant. Um, it's come full circle now again and competes very well with the wear of a vinyl or leatherette. Um, we got the color, but uh, a lot of people are interested in what what those cabinets are actually made of. All of our cabinets, not just the doors and drawer fronts, because a lot of people will say, oh, our cabinets are real wood. Yeah. But their styles are a, a wrap of some sort. We run solid wood doors and drawer fronts and styles. So all of the materials built built to the cabinet, all is going to be real wood. Mm-hmm. And we do that throughout every one of our coaches. Kitchen is, is actually a phenomenal. One of the things that we did in the kitchen is the TV typically on a Class C is up in the cab over bunk area. Yeah. The TV is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They started to not fit up there, and we didn't want to make the TV any smaller. So what we did in the kitchen area here is we solved two problems at once. We stayed with a big TV. I think we're 40 inches on this one. We moved it out of the cab over bunk area into a more centralized, and we actually mount it to the cabinet door that's over the sink. So you've got a double sink, TV above it, and it's straight across from the sofa. So you're not craning your neck if you want to watch a game while you're on the road or anything like that. And in addition, that door opens, so you don't lose any cabinet space. But you end up with, and now let me open this, the cabinet that is here. So your kitchen cabinet, you've got 30, it's 36 inches wide free opening uh next to that you've got a full-size uh range or uh, uh, convection oven and that's a t- traditional residential side and above that you're gonna have another cabinet up there which is typically where you would house your electronics equipment uh, or something else and that cabinet's gonna be 27 inches wide and about eight inches tall clear to get inside just an extra for uh, kitchen space below that is your cooktop and then below that are three drawers all of our drawers, we utilize a soft-closed self-latching system. So unlike a lot of the plastic drawer catches that you'll see in the industry right now, mm-hmm. a lot of times those break and don't hold. This has uh, – it's, it's called a detente feature. So unless you pull and hold, it sort of sucks it back in, the soft-close. And then if you pull and hold on it, then the drawer will open. And then next to that, you've got another two drawers – then to the next of that is your double sink, and it's got a handle. It's a tall uh, black 
finish uh, faucet. It's got a uh, pull-down sprayer that can detach sort of and spray wherever you need to. You've got a double stainless steel sink there with solid surface cover. And then in front of that uh, is uh, the cabinet itself, the lower base cabinet, and it's a double door. And we don't use center styles in the middle because if you have something big, you know, you don't want to finagle it around that. So we go no center style, which gives you basically 24 inches of clear space underneath the sink to stock anything or throw anything in there. Mm-hmm. Off to the left, we've got a, a, a countertop extension that we typically do on everything. And again, one of the things that we did is we, we had a counter. We didn't like the countertop extensions were out there because they rattled, they were loose. They, nobody knew how they put them down and they were two separate pieces. So, and we use a solid one piece steel custom made uh, countertop extension uh, that has the solid surface matching countertop to it. And this gives you another 15 by 18 inches of counter space right there at the entry doorway. Just as we go back into the back bedroom, we've got a double door on a full wall slide. Typically it's, it's tough to do a solid door. And that's one of the things we've got from feedback is they wanted, instead of a curtain, they wanted a double door, a solid sure. door. Yeah. So what we did is we turned this into a full wall, but we, we split into two different slides to give us just enough wall space to have an actual pocket door, a two piece pocket door that will close the space off with an actual solid door instead of a curtain. Mm-hmm. So as we step through that sort of archway into the back bedroom, it's very, very deceptive because this bathroom is huge for being what people consider a corner bath. Like I can walk in, I'm in there right now and I can put my elbows out and spin around, not touching anything. And I'm not even to the toilet yet. So as I step in, I'm basically, and that's with the door open with the door closed. I've got 46 inches of standing space one way and 30 inches the other way of clear space. So if you want to get dressed in here, you can easily do that. There's a a small uh, lab faucet and sink here with countertops and a corner vanity that's got plenty of space inside to put, instead of those thin little narrow um, cabinets, this is a corner cabinet, so you've got lots of space to put stuff overhead with a full frame mirror on the door. And now as I basically trot through this open space, then I get to the toilet, um, which gives you plenty of room in front. And then as you walk past that, there's still another 12 inches of clear space. So when you step out of the shower, you're not having to contort your body to get around something. I can step right here. And really the highlight of the bathroom is the shower. Most showers and RVs are tight. It just so happens it worked out for this one. We could get a 36 by 36 inch shower. And by using the wall material that we do, which is a really high gloss um, material with grout lines cut into it, Uh, It looks very cool, but it's also very thin and maximizes all your shower space. So again, the shower, like I said, it measures about 30, uh, we're 32 clear this way to 36 clear. And then height wise, I'm about five, uh, 5'11". I'm six foot in heels. (laughs) And we've got 81 inches in the skylight area clear and you've got 76 inches to the ceiling clear. And then, of course, there's a skylight over the shower to give you some natural light and more headroom if you get anybody that's taller. I like it. You're listening to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, the host. That's Brian Clements. He's giving us the exclusive audio tour of the Dynamax Europa 
not even on the market yet, but here we are walking around inside of it. All right, Brian, don't forget to wash your hands when you leave the bathroom and uh, to keep, you got keep going. All right, so back out of the bathroom, we're back in the bedroom again. And again, we've got a king-size bed here that slides in. And uh, we use a memory or a memory foam mattress uh, on the top because, again, we don't like to skimp there. Uh, it's something that I would sleep on. And again, I test every mattress. So <laughs> this vehicle I'll be taking here in about uh, three weeks to a rally down in uh, Georgia. So I'll be spending a week, week and a half uh, being in this vehicle. Uh, making sure everything's working as it should. And, and if there's any other tweaks we need to do later, then we'll incorporate those. Nice. So on the very back wall, you get your wardrobe. Now the wardrobe is extremely deep and it's full width. So you have, oh, about five feet. You've got about 60 inches wide of space. We section this off into two pieces. So you can have a wardrobe in the front piece but the bar goes all the way across because we have a washer dryer prep uh, on the left side. So on the passenger side, so you can put in a combo washer dryer in here. And if you don't want to do that, then you've got, you double your wardrobe space in the back. And it is because of the washer dryer prep. It also means your wardrobe is about 26 inches deep. And then underneath that wardrobe, we've got a little strip light because the drawers underneath are sort of recessed back and you've got four drawers we cedar line all of our closets and all of our wardrobe drawers on everything that we build. And you're going to have four drawers back here. Um, all of them are about 24 inches wide, 22 of usable space. And then on the wall between the bathroom and the, um, the bed is another uh, smart TV. And that is recessed back in the wall to get you a really clean look and not have a head knocker when you're walking by. So it sits perfectly flush with the wood frame. It looks almost like a picture frame mounted to the wall itself. Uh, completing the tour, what, what else do you have to share with us on the interior of the Europa? You know, one of the cool things we did, uh, again, in trying to make things residential, you know, one of the things I noticed when I walk into other RVs, whether it be soft touch vinyl ceilings or whatever, they always have trim pieces on the ceiling. And I always felt that odd because you don't have that in a residential home. And what designers have done across the time, uh, recently, I guess, or across the years, have tried to make those accent pieces. So you go from a white ceiling and then they'll put wood grain trim up there. You know, you do things to try to make it look like it was intentional. One of the things we did for the Europa um, is we had an idea to do like a beadboard ceiling. And what this does is because it's a beadboard and the way that it interlocks and the way that it, it, it has the grooves built into it, we could make this and where you seam it, it basically becomes a groove. So I could eliminate all trim on the ceiling. So you, when you walk in, you'll see no trim on the ceiling of the RV. And so it feels very resident, residential from the standpoint of just no trim. And then in addition to that, uh, you always typically see RVs with those window lambrequins or valances, those side legs that come down, and those take up, in my mind, shoulder space. Mm -hmm. So what we did here is we're using real wood window casements around the windows. So you'll have a valance across the top like you would that houses or covers up the blinds, the day-night shades. But then on the sides and the bottom, you're going to see basically wood grain trim like you were at a house, like a, case, a casement window. Why, why is this whole idea of being residential so important? Is it, is it a, um, is it a psychological thing? 
Um, I think it's a little bit of that. Uh, some of it is just it's supposed to be the home away from home. So why do we do all of these odd things that have become sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, cliches or stereotypes for RVs in general on how they style it? Like way back in the day, if you look, you know, for some reason, people thought that it would be smart to match the carpet to the furniture. So you had some blue furniture, you'd have some blue carpet or you'd have green and, and, Things have just gone more residential when you talk about less carpet, uh, more wood floorings, vinyl floorings, yeah. tile floors. Uh, you want it to be cleanable. But I think styling, it used to be that RVs would trail behind um, residential by six, six to ten years. Those trends wouldn't take hold. But I think today, when you have channels like HGTV, uh, the discover, I mean, the DIY channel. I mean, there's all these channels where now you can see sort of high design happening real time and not everyone would get to see that normally. So I think the tastes have accelerated yeah. uh, much quicker. Now I think the gap from RV residential to RV is, is two years or less. And sometimes, uh, I mean, certainly less, uh, we've seen some things that you see, on, on some designer shows or something like that, they'll make it the way in the RV space in, in literally months. Anything else notable in there that we should know about? On our kitchen counter, we actually use a very dark, uh, solid surface material. We do a lit edge. So there's a little ribbon of translucent material in the very edge of the countertop. And there's an LED light behind that just because it's, it's a cool wow factor and, and people love to look at it. But even mm -hmm. when the light's not on, it gives you an interesting look. But on the dinette table, so where you're going to be eating uh, every day, typically, unless you're around the, the picnic table, we do a, a wood grain top. And what's cool about this is we were able to sort of mimic a live edge. So live edges seem to be pretty hot on, on countertops and um, uh, shelves and things like that, again, on some of the, the designer homes. And so what we have here is a, a nice, warm wood grain material that draws in the grays and the browns that are in here with a live edge. So it's just something not traditional that you see every day. And it just adds a little bit of detail um, that, that we find uh, keeps people um, interested and, and excited about the product. Well, speaking of, of interested and excited, you know, some of us are working out of our RVs these days. And even when we're not working for money, we like to stay connected. Have you got anything in the way of technology that's going to make our lives a little bit easier when we're in there? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the coolest things that we did uh, a few years back was we went to a multiplex wiring. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, it's, it's like the automotive industry and how they do their wiring. And it serves a couple purposes. One, you, less, you run less wire. And so it's easier to maintain. All of our wiring is done in harnesses and they're stamped. Uh, but the multiplex system, it gives you app control over all of your features. So we'll have a central touchscreen in the front tower. It lets you control the thermostats. It lets you control the, uh, all of the lighting, uh, dimming the lighting. Um, it lets you control slide-out operation, awning operation. Uh, it'll let you know how things are electrical-wise, if you're charging, if you're plugged in. Uh, it'll tell you outside temperature, inside temperatures again. Um, and what's nice about that is, again, it, it's connected to an app as well. So if you don't want to use the hard switches that are available to you, you can always use the app control. So if you're laying in bed and maybe it gets a little warm at some point or another, you can just right from where you're at, pull your phone up, change the temperature, or maybe the fan is loud and you want to put that down so you can change it from high to low or auto. 
Um, the other thing that we do, we use Firefly and they have a wireless switch package. So a lot of times as a designer, um, we know how we use it, but not everyone uses the, the RV the same way. You know, maybe, you know, someone is going to be working from this. And so it would be more important that the switch was moved closer to this particular dinette space because that's their workspace and they want to be able to control the lighting. Well, in years past, you know, we would have to do harness changes and wiring changes and everything else. But with the Firefly system and the wireless switches, the customer can physically snap the switch off the wall, um, unscrew, there's a couple screws that hold the, the plate there, move it to wherever they want it, screw it right back in. You putty a couple holes that were there, um, and now the switch is exactly where you want it, custom tailored to, to your style. And we've got those switches, you know, in a few different spots around the vehicle and also in the outside utility bay. So if you want to control the water pump from out there, um, you can start the gen from a, a couple different spots. But again, for those people that, you know, maybe aren't technically savvy or don't really have a smartphone, which is a dwindling number, we've got hard switches everywhere for you that you can utilize. For the rest of us, um, it's app control. You can literally control just about anything in the RV right from the, uh, the ease of your phone. Brian Clements at Dynamax, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into this. I mean, you and everybody on your team have put a lot of thought into that. You know, if you wanted to wrap it up with just one statement about what you're trying to accomplish with this rig, the Europa, what, how would you summarize it? You know, we really wanted to come out with something that, that appealed to a wide range of people, and we love to try to test different things out. And when you group a lot of different ideas from a lot of different people and you put those together, sometimes, you know, you end up with something great. And that's what we feel like we've got here. What was interesting, um, Dynamax, I feel like, has always been a little bit ahead of its time when it comes to the design standpoint, whether it be exterior, interior, or just, just the power and styling of, of sort of a, a, a Super C motorhome. Uh, and it was never more evident than when we picked the paint scheme for this, one of the first comments we had back from a customer was, wow, it's so fresh and modern. Uh, so, you know, really we're just trying to and, uh, pay respects to our roots and lines designed to hit, uh, you know, a price point for the buyer and a size for the buyer uh, that makes sense and stays in our type of vehicle. Hey, keep your eyes peeled, everybody out there, for the new Europa from Dynamax. If you want to learn more about it, um, Brian, do you have anything yeah. on the website yet? Uh, they just posted a brochure on the website, and Great. they just posted date on the website. Great. And the first units should be shipping um, probably by the end of, well, maybe not this month because we're a little tight, but next month for sure we'll, we'll start hitting dealer lots. Dynamax Corp dot com is where you go for more information dynamax c-o-r-p dot com brian clemens is the general manager over there and has done an incredible job both in design and engineering thanks so much for being a part of the rv travel podcast brian thank you thanks again for having me you're welcome and with that we'll call it a day a little bit longer day than usual, but hopefully you learned something. Maybe you just learned about your next rig or how to stay safer with your water system, or maybe you're inclined to do some journaling now. 
Thank you to everybody who was a guest on the show, from Brian Clemens to Steve and Shelley Wells to Keith Bernard over at clear20.com. Thank you all for listening. My name is Scott Linden. I'll leave you with this thought. You know, you might be an RVer if, after buying a bigger truck, you decide now you can buy a bigger trailer. Hey, until next week, I'll talk to you at any of the RVTravel.com Facebook pages and, of course, on the podcast page where you can talk to me, too. I answer every email. If you want to do one thing for us, you'll tell one friend about the RV Travel Podcast. That's how we grow around here and continue to provide you with the information that you need to enjoy yourself on the road. And that's probably where I'll see you someday. Thanks again for listening. Drive carefully.